Hello, everyone. I'm Esther Pan Sloan, Head of Partnerships, Policy and Communications at the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Welcome to Season 2 of Capital Musings, UNCDF's podcast, where we are focusing on fresh ideas and new innovations that serve our mandate to make finance work for the poor in the world's least developed countries, and as we celebrate the 75th anniversary of the United Nations. You can find our Capital Musings podcast on Apple, Spotify, or our website, www.uncdf.org. And today I'm very pleased to be discussing SDGA, an exchange-traded fund by Impact Shares, which is a partnership between UNCDF and Impact Shares, a very exciting nonprofit fund manager founded by Ethan Powell. We're very glad that Ethan is with us today. Hello, Ethan. Hello, Esther. Thank you for having me. So please tell us a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to start Impact Shares. Sure. So Impact Shares is a SEC-registered 501c3 nonprofit investment advisor, and we work with leading social and environmental advocacy organizations to craft investment strategies that are consistent from a social and environmental screening standpoint with their organizational goals, expectations, and aspirations of the private sector. My background is in private debt, private equity, and hedge funds, but you know, ESG has been my passion for a couple of decades, and I'm excited that the Rockefeller Foundation has helped us bring these products to market. And what was it that made you see demand or potential demand in the market for this type of product? Because I know it's been several years putting it together. And at the time when you started, it wasn't clear that the market was going to shift this decisively towards impact vehicles. It's a good question. So I think one of the underreported correlations in the marketplace is the correlation between the growth in passive or beta or indexed investing in highly efficient corners of global capitalism like global equities and domestic equities and the correlation between that and the growth in ESG investing. And the rationale and and what I was seeing in the marketplace is as the investing public lost confidence in Wall Street's ability to consistently generate alpha through the full market cycle, they'll be looking for other ways of sort of garnering utility and value through their capital allocations. And increasingly, that became ESG and aligning their capital with their system of social and environmental priorities. And as I looked at the offerings that Wall Street delivered back in 2014 and still to this day delivers, Um, There's a real credibility and communication issue with the solutions in that the credibility is who are you large Wall Street firm to tell me what a good corporate citizen is or is not? And then secondly, what does that mean, right? And how does your perspective on good corporate citizenship reconcile back to mine? And it really led to a lack of adoption in the broader investing public as financial intermediaries like advisors and broker dealers really didn't have the patience or the acumen to help their clients navigate that tricky proposition of reconciling capital to cause. And so Impact Shares was born when you saw this need in the market and this gap. Uh, Tell us about the funds in the fund family and what made you reach out to each of the organizations that is partnering with Impact Shares. Right. So we've got three funds in the marketplace. We've got a NAACP Minority Empowerment Fund. Uh, it's probably worth saying that of the 600 plus ESG funds, 
uh, registered funds. This is the only one dealing with issues impacting communities of color, which obviously, given the current events in the United States, is direly needed. So we've got the Minority Empowerment Fund. We have a YWCA Women's Empowerment Fund. And then we have our fund with the United Nations Capital Developments Fund that deals with the sustainable development goals in the 47 least developed countries. And Esther, the original thought was we always knew we wanted to lead with a diversity-themed first launch, and that was the NAACP and the YWCA funds. You know, the goal was really to identify historically marginalized communities and identify advocacy groups that are synonymous with those communities and have a long history of advocating for them. Um, In the case of the NAACP, they'd been advocating for communities of color for 111 years. In the case of the YWCA, uh, they'd been advocating for women for over 160 years globally. So for us, those were two obvious partners and two obvious communities that really needed a voice in the capital markets. And we thought that it made a lot of sense for our initial launch. The other fund with the United Nations Capital Development Fund came about because, you know, we identified that, well, actually the UNCDF reached out to us and made a really compelling point that some, probably the the most marginalized communities in the world are those in the least developed and emerging economies. And we worked with you and your team to build a solution that identified those large multinationals that are humanely engaging those emerging market communities and investing capital to build out a global infrastructure that the local economic ecosystem can utilize. So to us, it wasn't one that we originally thought we were going to bring out, but given, I think, the obvious need and the compelling uh, solution, we thought that it made a lot of sense. So we at UNCDF, of course, are very excited about our exchange-traded fund, SDGA. So we'll come to that in just a minute. On the NAACP fund, as you mentioned, it's been incredibly timely this year, especially as all of the unrest and frustration really have come out across the United States and around the world. So how, you know, how does an average person use one of these funds to support racial reconciliation or social justice or women's equality? Well, so they're all exchange traded, and that means that they're relatively low cost to access and to invest in. The NAACP fund trades under the ticker NACP. Our Women's Empowerment Fund with the YWCA ticker trades under ticker WOMN. And as you pointed out, the United Nations Fund trades under ticker SDGA. And really, it's as simple as aligning your capital and investing your domestic equity portion of your portfolio in the fund. And we create impact really through three mechanisms. The first is, as a 501c3, we build, distribute, and operate these funds on behalf of our advocacy partners, which means all of the net advisory proceeds, instead of going to a large asset manager, go back to our collaborating advocacy organization. And the way to think about that is just as you might pay a technology or healthcare portfolio manager to manage that sector within your public equities portfolio. Here you're paying a NAACP, which is a sector level expert, to have an actively managed social outcome as it relates to communities of color. And we do that by working with the NAACP or the UNCF to create a series of social screens that aren't static, right? They're really intended to represent a common language for engaging the private sector, 
and they evolve over time as the organization's uh, goals and expectations of the private sector evolve, as the issues themselves evolve, and as data availability evolves. So we sometimes talk about impact shares as being a platform for engagement, with really our advocacy organization being the engine for that engagement and change. And part of that's through curating the social screens, which in turn curates a portfolio that is the 200 leading companies relative to that specific social or environmental outcome that you're trying to achieve. And that's across all 10 sectors of the economy. And one of the reasons we do that is because we don't want to exclude certain sectors of the economy, in part because we want to hold them accountable as well, even if they're relatively lower performing from a social standpoint but also because we want to achieve broad equity market rate of return. And so we need every sector of the economy to be represented in the portfolio. So in addition to having the screens as sort of a language for engagement, we've got inclusion or exclusion from the fund that we believe creates incentive for engagement, right? And our goal is that when you ask a public company if they're committed to diversity or committed to the SDGs or committed to emerging economies, we want them to respond with, we are, and we are in the NAACP Minority Empowerment Fund because these are the 20 screens that they care about, and they've graded us relative to our peers, and we perform better than our peers through that lens um, of, and through that perspective of ESG. So we've got common language for engagement, incentive for engagement. We have the right people engaging uh, with these advocacy organizations. And lastly, our goal is to have every social and environmental issue reflected with a separately investable fund so that, you know, we talked about the communication issue. Our goal is that financial intermediaries can engage with their investors in a simple, incredible way in that if a investor goes to their advisor and says, I want to align my capital with my system of social environmental beliefs, we can provide that advisor with a list of three dozen advocacy organizations that they can turn to their investor and say, okay, who do you want to align your capital with and feel confident that the capital is being maximized to achieve that social or environmental objective while still achieving a competitive risk-adjusted return? Great. So I think, you know, for activists and for people who really care about these issues, many of them maybe don't think of their power as investors in the same uh, strand or in the same way that they think of their power as advocates or donors. So essentially what you've created is a vehicle that takes the power of the capital markets where the money is and says, if you care about, say, the empowerment of minorities, you can take your retirement fund and buy the NACP. And in that way, you're supporting the work of the NAACP. You're in effect making a donation to them to continue their work on advocacy to improve the lives of minority communities in the US. Plus you are rewarding the companies that through their policies um, manifest their actual you know, integrity in supporting these goals as well. So I think it's a really useful and very valuable addition to the conversation about how do we make social change? Because not only are we advocates and voters and activists and people marching on the streets, we also are consumers and investors and money is power. And where our money goes is where corporations must follow. And we're seeing this in the impact investing industry. Yeah, and that's a great point. And just to add to that, there's a big demographic shift in that baby boomers 
will be passing roughly $30 trillion to millennials and other younger generations over the next two decades. And over three quarters of that demographic group want to align their capital with their cause and also their consumption behavior, right? So, so this is a good way for them early on in their investing career to allocate some of their capital um, in a credible way along their own social and environmental priorities. Yeah, and I think it's really terrific because as we look at um, challenges facing the world and as people talk about systems change, we can say one of the reasons for, say, the racial wealth gap in the United States is the structure of the capital markets that have historically excluded certain minority groups or deliberately kept them out of certain profitable investments or categories. From UNCDF's perspective, we would say that about least developed countries, that they have effectively been redlined out of certain types of investments or excluded from the types of, um, you know, funding or technical assistance or knowledge that they need to improve their situations. And so this is a vehicle that actually addresses those historical inequities and strives to change the entire system of the way money is made and kept and, you know, accumulated in the United States. So um, now that we've addressed kind of that role of equities, how, how would you assess how the market is changing in the time since 2014 when you started this journey Till now, we see that there's, I think it's something like 30% of investable assets are moving towards um, impact vehicles or ESG aware vehicles. How do we, A, make sure that those things are real? It's not just greenwashing or labeling when a financial firm issues an ESG product. And then how do we ensure that that change and the impact is real, that those vehicles are promising? That's a good question. And, and the way we think about capital allocation going forward is ESG will no longer be sort of a niche product or service offering. Rather, it will be ingrained into every capital allocation decision made irrespective of asset class. And if you're familiar with the efficient frontier, which is the sort of two-dimensional risk return graph where for every unit of risk you have a market rate of return that is appropriate. We believe that there's really a third dimension to the efficient frontier, which is the social and environmental implication of your capital allocation. And as you think about risk return, you also think about that, the impact you're having on the world around you. And you can be very intentional with that, or you can be unintentional. Or, you know, if you're going to invest in cluster bombs, you should expect a much higher risk adjusted return because you're destroying the world around you, right? And if that's the perspective you want to take on your capital allocation, then good luck, right? And as it relates to sort of greenwashing, really, I think that as people look at their capital allocation decision today, they're looking at people, process, philosophy, and performance as it relates to achieving financial outcomes, right? And navigating that two-dimensional efficient frontier. And for us, we believe that people will evaluate, you know, investors will evaluate people, process, philosophy, and performance on that third dimension as well, right? So do you have credible, passionate, experienced people like the NAACP engaging with corporate America to really change the trajectory of society, right? Like two-thirds of our GDP is driven from the private sector. Over half of working adults or lives are spent at the workplace. If you really want to make meaningful changes in these communities, you need to effectively engage the private sector. And it's not sufficient just to cast stones 
and to identify the sort of the bad actors on one tail. It's really about identifying the good actors on the on the positive tail and then encouraging all of them to improve their relative score versus these aspirations. So that's really how I think it will evolve as it is no longer a niche really integrated into everything Wall Street does. And we need to make sure that we have the right pupil process philosophy to achieve those social and environmental outcomes that we're promising to deliver. And I think we're seeing this on the UN side as well, that as you know, we talk to international investors who are interested in sustainable development, they're increasingly taking into account not only the environmental risks of their investments, the risk that say climate change or not changing uh, um, corporate policies around things like water use and energy conservation and recycling, they're seeing that as a risk to the bottom line of their investment over time, but they're also facing massive pressure from consumers and uh, their peers, especially in places like Europe that are more forward leaning on SDG issues than in the United States, to be leaders in this field. And so if they are not, they're really being left behind by especially younger consumers in this demographic that you're talking about, as more and more people with money care about how they spend their money. So we see that there's growing pressure. Have you kind of, from the market side, seen companies begin to change their behavior in response to this pressure? We have. You know, it's funny. We have C-suites of large communication companies, for example, working with the NAACP, and they want to actually work to improve their relative score so that they can be a larger holding in the fund which really isn't the way it works. I mean, it's binary. Either you're a leader or you're not. And once you get in the fund, the uh, sizing really has to do with the financial outcome. But there's a number of situations that we've encountered. The NAACP, for example, worked with Starbucks, who was in the index when the Philadelphia incident happened. And due to their response, they remained in the index. And just recently, Facebook was in the index, and there was a pretty highly publicized engagement between Derek Johnson, the president of the NAACP, and Zuckerberg and his team that did not end well. And, you know, this year we removed them from the index, or we removed them from the portfolio. And then this year we're including screens that really target tech and communication companies that profit from hate speech and with a specific goal of removing the likes of Facebook, right? And that, I think, goes to how the solution can evolve as the issues themselves evolve and how the organization really wants to identify what it means to be a leader in this particular issue. And to your other point, as far as sort of good companies being good at these issues, our performance on all three strategies has really been exceptional. And our initial investment objective was really just to achieve a broad equity market average rate of return not to have any sort of concessionary return profile. And we just hit our two-year mark on all three of the strategies earlier this month. And as of September 24th, our women fund on an annualized basis returned positive 12%. The NAACP fund was positive 11%. And our SDGA fund was positive 5%. And the SDGA is a global equity. So on a relative basis, it beat 97% of uh, the funds that were in its Morningstar category. Similarly, our Women Fund beat 98% of the funds and our Minority Empowerment Fund beat 96%. So I think what that's showing is our, our portfolio construction is done such that it minimizes any sort of 
tracking error based on traditional economic explanatory factors like large cap versus you know small cap bias or growth versus value or sector over or underweights. And the one factor that we're trying to identify are those companies that have better self-awareness relative to these issues. And what we believe will happen over a full market cycle is that those companies are better managed, will be in better touch with not only with the specific communities we're dealing with, but really the uh, stakeholders at large, not only consumers, but also employees, credit markets, and other stakeholders. And that over a full market cycle, that these factors, those companies doing the most to advance minorities, those companies doing the most to advance uh, emerging economies in a humane way, will ultimately outperform from a financial standpoint. And for the last two years, that's really played itself out. I think it's a really fantastic virtuous cycle. And even from a purely risk perspective, you know, I've heard really super hardcore finance people talking about, you know, if you have a well-managed company in management that has integrity and is not cheating or dumping chemicals, that is likely to affect the performance of the company in the long run, right? If, if your company respects all its workers, they're likely to have less worker turnover, you know, stronger customer loyalty. So I think all of these values that in the past had been considered really kind of hippy-dippy or only for young people or that kind of very idealistic values are really, there's now enough research to show that these values like diversity, having different people on boards, having you know, different opinions around the table for decision-making really lead to better financial outcomes as well. And I think that's not something that traditional, the traditional finance industry might have expected. That's exactly right. So Ethan, how do we scale this? Impact Shares has been part of now building this industry and really kind of, I'd say, being a shining light about what it means to be a truly impactful yet financial viable product that has broad-based appeal to retail investors. How does this now scale and get to the point where it is the norm for the financial industry to consider these considerations and not still an outlier? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think from an institutional investor standpoint, I think that institutions need to stop just looking at their private debt and private equity allocations and sort of a 5% allocation to impact investing, and instead really need to look at their entire endowment or their entire corpus and say, how are we allocating this in a way that is consistent with our broader social and environmental mission? And they need to look at the $70 trillion global public equity market as a mechanism by which they can create real social and environmental change and not one that they just need to kind of get a broad equity market rate of return. And part of that will be catalytic, right? Because if you look at the U.S. household, roughly 60% of their capital is in either public equities or in cash and cash alternatives. So by institutions leading the way, acknowledging that their public equity exposure can be used to create meaningful change in our society, I think that will lead the way to broader-based ESG adoption. And you already see it, even particularly during COVID, where the private sector is reimagining their role in society and taking a leadership position, and in part because there's a lack of leadership maybe in the public sector, right? So I think that that alignment from institutional capital allocation and really demonstrating leadership for the rest of uh, the investing public will really go a long way towards sort of creating that virtuous circle of capital that you spoke about. 
And so for our listeners today, I imagine, and I hope that some of them have been inspired by our discussion. So if someone is interested in moving money into one of the funds and joining us kind of on this really interesting journey of creating a nonprofit financial vehicle that supports social causes, how would they do that? Well, it's, you know, invest in tickers uh, SDGA, uh, NACP, and WOMN. And, you know, I would say even more than that, don't be afraid to have the conversations with your financial advisors and intermediaries or your consultants if you're an institutional investor. Because, you know, what we see is a disconnect between financial advisors' willingness to help their clients navigate these tricky social and environmental issues and the broader investing public's appetite to have these types of solutions in their portfolio. And it's really up to the end investor or consumer to push the dialogue, to push it forward and ask the questions and don't be content with the answer being, well, you know, it's a concessionary return and we don't want to give up return, do we? Because that's just not the case. So for our listeners, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we're very happy that we had Ethan Powell of Impact Shares joining us today, talking about his revolutionary ETFs, NACP, W-O-M-N, and our own ETF with Impact Shares, SDGA. Thank you very much for joining us. Have a great day. Thanks again for joining us, everyone, for UNCDF's podcast, Capital Musings. Once again, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and our website, www.uncdf.org.